Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also has strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and an education partner with the Shopify approved course, 1000 Sales and Beyond. He's the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years experience in digital marketing from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interview the experts to help you in your journey to success. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For anyone who's not tuned in before, my name's Nick, and I've been hosting the podcast since June 2020 now. So we've just rolled over a year, and what an adventure it has been. For anyone who didn't pick up our last series, I highly recommend um, going back a few episodes. Feel free to listen to this one first today or come back to this one later, but go back a few episodes and listen to the previous series. We were doing a very dry, boring topic. We're trying to make it fun talking about the business side of running an e-commerce store. So we started off talking about all the different things that somebody running an e-commerce store needs to know about, from finance to legal to how to manage your books and how to hire the right staff. We then at the end of the series came right the way back to a chap called Ben Leonard, who did a fantastic episode. And he's one of our closest connections when it comes to the podcast. Ben sold a business called Beast Gear, and he explained in detail how you can build your business to then what we call exit and sell the company. So highly recommend listening to that episode. And then last week, we had a couple of our sponsors on as well from Bright Pearl and Trustpilot talking about a whole range of topics. So make sure you go back and check out previous episodes if this is the first time you've tuned in. I am delighted to announce a series that I've been very, very excited about that we're kicking off today. And this is all about how to build a killer Shopify store. We did a poll recently on our Facebook group and uh, also through our emails. And this was the number one topic by far. 80% of the people we sent this to ticked this box saying, I want to know how to build a killer Shopify store. So as always, I've gone through my little black book of contacts and had a look at who was reaching out to us to be on the show. And we've got some phenomenal guests lined up for this, not least our guests that are joining us today. And I have to admit, this is only the second time um, or possibly the third time now I've ever done a, a podcast with more than two of us. So if we get a bit mixed up in the middle, apologies, but uh, we should be fine. My guests are called Lolita and Donnie. And they're from a business called Evestar, which I've just been told is one of the fastest growing e-commerce agencies out in the US. And we're going to be talking about how to build a killer Shopify store today. So without further ado, Lolita, welcome to the show. Tell us a bit about yourself and your background. Thank you so much, Nick, for having me. I'm very excited to be here. So a little bit about Evestar. Evestar is the e-commerce agency. We're a full service e-commerce agency. And what we focus on is scaling e-commerce businesses. I launched my agency in 2018 after I sold my company called JetSmarter. It was in private aviation. It got acquired by Vista Global in 2018. So we decided to launch an e-commerce agency. In 2018, even though e-commerce was um, very quick developing, I think that what happened in 2020 is that we experienced an absolutely explosive 10 times growth in e-commerce due to COVID. 
So my agency has scaled, you know, tremendously in 2020. And right now we're the fastest growing e-commerce agency in the United States and we represent brands all over the world. Amazing. And there's so much in that we're going to dig through as we go through. Just before we do that, Donnie, you work in the SEO team, don't you? Welcome to the show and, and give us a little intro to yourself as well, a bit about you. Hi, Nick. Yeah, I've worked in SEO for over 10 years around all sorts of brands, not just e-commerce. Um, I actually met Lolita through working with in the aviation space as well. And it's been it's been a fun ride. We've been working together on a few projects and I'm learning a lot and I'm very excited to have been given this opportunity. Cool. Well, both of you, welcome to the show. I'm super excited to have you here as, as much as I am excited about this series as well. So I think firstly, before we dive in, you've given us a quick intro, Lolita, to, to Evestar. What, what sort of stuff do you guys focus on then in terms of Shopify? Like what are some of the, what's a normal project look like to you or what are some of the more, more sort of juicy things you guys get involved in? Perfect. We're actually known to take the business from the ground zero and to scale it to about millions um, of dollars in revenue, annual revenue. So when brands come to us, a lot of them, I would say 70% of the portfolio of our clients, they come to us with a product. They don't even have a Shopify store. So first we learn about the product because the, the success in building a successful e-commerce store, and I get asked that question all the time, Number one thing is 50% is what is your product, right? The product needs to have very important metrics for it to be successful. We always look at average order value and how, what is the percentage of the customers that are going to come back to your store? So these are the first, you know, if you pre-revenue, if you're just thinking of the product, these are the first two things that we always ask. Average order value, what is your product, right? How good is your product? And then how often do you think, the customers are going to come back and buy from you again. These two metrics, you know, pre-revenue is very important. And then, of course, once we launch the store, we get obsessed with conversion rate. Because if the conversion rate does not follow through, you really need to pivot pretty quickly and get that conversion rate to 2% or above. It depends on the industry for you to actually make money in e-commerce. Sure, sure. You've talked really early on about product, which is a really hot topic on this podcast. We've seen so many stores uh, at both of my companies over the years that turn up and the product is just, you kind of stop, it's just not quite right, is it? Or you only sell one thing and it's once every two or three years purchase. Like, for example, a shop I used to run was a sunglasses store. And it was a classic example of people just don't buy sunglasses that, that often. So your average order value is only going to be one pair of sunglasses. And the lifetime value is unlikely to be more than one purchase unless you work really, really hard to get the second one in. How, how does somebody, taking a sort of step back for a sec from the store itself, how does somebody go about finding a good product or, or, or checking and sort of sense checking if their product is good? How do they go about that process? Well, first you hope that people that are getting into an e-commerce store, that they're entrepreneurial, right? That one thing we don't do, right? Yes. One thing that we don't <laughs> do is that I don't help them with a the product. They have to come to me with a product and they need to be really passionate about the product. And with us representing multiple brands, I know in the interview process, whenever we're speaking with a brand, whether a person is trying to create kind of second revenue or whether they're trying to build a brand, right? Yeah. People that want to build a brand in the series about e-commerce, they're going to put a lot of thoughts into product. So 
It's really, you know, speaking with an owner of the brand and understanding how much research they've done, where they're sourcing the product. Are they actually serious about the quality of the product, which is very important? Like I usually don't entertain clients that come to us where they purchase products from AliExpress and try to resell it. That it really needs to be a quality product where they're passionate, where they've done some R&D, where they understand what it is that they want. One of the first questions that I ask is, what do you want from us? right? What is the goal that you're going to hire EveStar? What do you want? How quickly do you want to scale? Where do you want to be in 12 months? What do you want from us? And if they tell us, for example, right, I want to, within the first month, do 3 million in revenue. My second question will be, what are, where are you sourcing the product? How is your supply looking? Where do you manufacture? We get into the logistics. So I can only run as fast as the product allows me, right? Yep. And the product quality is... Uh, Super important because if you don't have it, it's just within the three months, you're going to struggle because whenever you start putting money into media buying into, you know, in two big platforms that we obviously use as Facebook and Google, which are expensive platforms and they get more and more expensive as more players get into the space, right? That you really need to have a product. Otherwise, it's not really worth it. You're going to be burning money. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And as a fellow SEO person, Donny, to bring you in just for a sec, how difficult is it? And I know the answer to this, but I want to hear your thoughts. How difficult is it to do SEO on a website um, or certainly on a Shopify store when the product is just a bit rubbish? There's nothing to say about it. It's not popular or it's just... As you said, Lolita, it's so common. You could you could buy it on AliExpress or Alibaba and and just go from there. Like, how difficult does that make the, the SEO job? It makes it more challenging, a hundred percent. If there's nothing to talk about, you have to do more research. You have to find the right demographic for that product if they exist. But back to Lolita's point, we don't take on just anyone. That we have to believe in their dream. We have to believe in their product. In the same sense, if we don't believe in the store working, there's no point in targeting it. And then again, keyword research is the number one step for for any project. If the product is something that was just invented and no one's looking for it, I wouldn't recommend SEO. There needs to be search. There needs to be some some intent, some user intent that will lead them there. But obviously, if no one's searching for it, there's we're not gonna we're not gonna take them on and, and tell them, hey, we need to do SEO for your product. Social media would be a better avenue. Yeah, we've had exactly the same over the years where clients come in and we've had a we've got one at the moment where we did a quote recently to you know do some SEO and stuff. And we always do if you're happy with the quote, then we'll do a little discovery piece first. And the discovery came back and it was like, there's just no traffic. You want to get, this wasn't in e-commerce. We want to get X amount of leads a month. It's just not going to happen if you haven't got the product or whatever. Anyway, let's do a massive U-turn. Let's come back to what we're talking about in this series and where we're talking about today. And I think product is a really interesting piece of context to lay the foundations for this. So Lolita, you guys take on people from the word go. And I, I'll be honest, I didn't know that until a couple of days ago and I did a bit of digging ahead of this session. Absolutely perfect for what we're talking about today. How do you start? So you've done the product bit, you understand their goals, they've written some numbers down a piece of paper. We want to get some revenue in, we're looking at this kind of stuff. Talking about Shopify, how do you build a store? Like what are some of the exercises that are good to go through when you're initially putting your store together? Well, once we take on a client and we really believe in their product, the first thing that we do is that we get the branding people involved. It's very important to start working with the branding people um, on our team and uh, communicate what they do 
really, really strongly. There is uh, a lot of, I don't know whether you visited some of the stores on Shopify where you land on the website and you're like, what are they selling? What are the hell, what are the, you know, what are they trying to do, right? It takes too many calories for consumers to burn, right? For them to understand what is the store trying to sell. So the, the shop, like branding people, they need to communicate first on paper, right? Write a bunch of taglines and really build uh, a very user-friendly UX kind of map before we have developers take over and start building the store in Shopify. But branding is the first thing that we dive into. Communication of the product is very important. Once we do that, once branding people get it out of the way, then the developers start putting in the site together, following their kind of guidelines. Amazing. And I'm, I'm glad you've used that example of branding. I've certainly seen lots and lots of stores over the years that, I mean, again, using my own store as an example, and this comes up a lot in emails I get from people about my own store. The irony that I failed so much in e-commerce, yet I run the, <laughs> run the podcast. I literally, when I built the store, I just found a theme I liked and kind of went from there. And it did work to a point. We had a good conversion rate. There were deeper problems and deeper reasons why we didn't run it anymore. We just kind of went off and picked up a nice high quality premium theme, etc. Yeah, actually, the clients we work with day to day, the ones that are really successful start off with branding to go, who are we? What products have we got? And who are we trying to reach? And just as you say, I think going through that exercise, because it becomes a lot easier for the developers, doesn't it? If they've got a decent brief from, from branding, it needs to be these colors, these fonts, this, this is the bank of imagery to use. These are the key messages we need to get across, et cetera. And the developers, it's quite easy to put that into a nice clean website and start start building from there, isn't it? Yes, for sure. Also, while our branding people on the communication side start already drafting communication, we have the brand go and make amazing product images and videos. So we kind of direct it. We kind we can either do it in house, or they, you know, it depends on what brand chooses. But I am not starting a Shopify build without the branding without images without videos and without the right communication plan otherwise it's just you know you're not going to build a good store so so everything that we do is when if we take the project it's probably has 100 percent i would say rate of success because we take every single step very seriously so we work with the brands we teach them how to make the right product shots we make the videos depends on the product right and while our branding people work on how to communicate the product the right way and then developers take over and they build a site. The whole process is actually pretty quick. A lot of brands, whenever I start speaking to them, they get all nervous. And whenever you start telling them the first step, you got to focus on branding. Everybody all of a sudden assumes that it's going to take months. We launch sites from ground zero in about four weeks. And that includes the branding, the Shopify build out and uh, full kind of strategy already set up. We, we build the ads, we build automation and all of that. So four weeks, it takes us from basically nothing to have your store ready to go and start actually delivering you some revenue. One thing you mentioned there that I absolutely love is the starting with product images. The analogy is great of somebody mentioned a while ago to me that if you try to buy clothing before you know the person, you're going to buy the wrong clothing in the wrong size. And e-commerce, I think, matches that perfectly in the sense of if you've got, as you say, good, good branded images, good product images, then you build a website that is designed to sell 
that product, to, to showcase and sell the product as it is in a good environment or in a relevant environment with the right brand on top, et cetera. And I think it makes a lot of sense. What, one question then, and I mean, you don't have to share the exact numbers on this podcast, but branding, in my experience, does similar to what you've just said. It scares everybody. It's going to take ages. Also, branding often sounds really, really expensive. Like you're going to have to have all these kind of consultants sort of scratching their heads and kind of combing their hair in the middle of some consultative meeting, wasting loads of money and sharing a sort of, we should make this red. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's make this red. It doesn't have to be complicated or expensive at all, does it? No, not at all. Absolutely. There is uh, so many different uh, companies today that focus on e-commerce branding as well. So if we send our clients if they have smaller budgets to places where they can make product images in about a couple of days. They can make videos a matter of a couple of days and really high quality. So it doesn't have to be expensive. It's not scary. It shouldn't be scary. And it's a necessity for a successful e-commerce launch. Think of it this way, that whenever you're going to the store, traditional retail, and you, you, you want to buy an outfit, you want to buy a pair of jeans, right, with a tank top. You're going to try it on. You're going to see it. You're going to feel it. You're going to visualize, right? You, you, you can touch the product. You try it on. You get that experience, right? Online, right? If I'm selling jeans and a visitor comes to my website and they cannot visualize themselves in a pair of jeans and how those jeans are going to fit and look and I cannot, you know, I don't have enough product images, it's not going to get me to buy it, right? Because they're, they're not touching the product. They're not trying it on. So this is what your whole you know, e-commerce store needs to deliver is that it needs to look so good and it needs to move the consumer towards purchasing you need, and the consumer needs to trust your product. And it's, re, it's done through branding. And sometimes when clients come to us with, let's say, with more established clients, the ones that are doing about 5K, let's say, in revenue, annual revenue, optimizing, rebranding, reskinning their website, their Shopify store will increase the conversion rate by like 100%, right? Because it's going to win consumers' trust quicker. So it's very important. Nice, nice. And Donnie, question for you then. Obviously, we all know it's a complicated process. And I love the way you just put it, Lolita, about if you can bring the store experience to somebody digitally and help them visualize the product, find exactly the right size, et cetera, then they're going to buy it. But Donnie, from an SEO point of view, and again, I'm going to keep coming back to SEO because it needs to be built in from the foundation, in my opinion. From an SEO point of view, what does that content look like? What, what sort of stuff are we actually talking about here? And how does that build the UX journey that Google's looking for on, uh, on search? So something that is overlooked, and it's very, very easy to find it, is just put yourself in the user's journey. When you get to the site, is it easy to find what you're looking for? Is everything a few clicks away? When when you click on a product, are you landing on the right page? Are the collections making sense? Those are the things that we like to look at. We want to make sure that the user is finding what they want, not going back to the SERP for another result. And we want to make sure that they're converting because the overall experience is something Google's measuring. They're measuring bounce back. They're measuring the time people spend on pages. And they have all this data from Chrome browsers as well as everybody that has Google Analytics set up on their website, which I would say is safe to say most competing businesses do. So they have all they have all this data. They have Google Chrome. We all use Chrome on our phones, on our computer. 
All the Androids come with them. They dominate. They dominate in search. They're, they have all the data. So if you think that they're not watching what how people behave on a site, you're wrong. If people are going there and leaving and not finding what they want, you didn't give them what they wanted. And Google's aware of that. And you're probably going to slowly but surely not rank for that term anymore. And e-commerce, we, we typically focus on ranking the collection pages. Product pages come and go. The collection pages, that's usually where we put our efforts and our focus on. And on those pages, we want to create the best user journey where the page loads fast. We don't have heavy images. We don't want too many pop-ups or things that are going to deter the user away and scare them back to the search engine for another result. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I feel like we, we often go through a sort of two stages of exercise early on with brands and it you've definitely touched on stage two which is the bigger more complicated one about user experience user journey did they find what they're looking for i think just for anybody that's looking at this new or thinking my store's doing all right i'm going to keep managing it myself but i want to do more to it the, the stage before what jo- uh, donnie's just been through is what i always call the relevant stage and you're absolutely right donnie collections are where we focus i think products are good when right at the bottom of the sort of super high intent bottom of the buying journey you want a product there if you can because they know exactly what product they're going for but certainly collections are the normal place to rank and the bit before what donnie's just said is what i call relevance and that's making sure that the keyword they've looked for on google is actually mentioned on the page and the reason i emphasize that with a slight smile on my face is that a lot of sites just don't do this i've seen sites ranking really really well which have rubbish kind of backlink profiles the site itself is not great it's just because they're one of the only sites that's bothered to build a collection with the actual name of the keyword as the collection. We were using an analogy on a webinar I was on a few weeks ago, the vegan leather handbag. You know, it's a very sort of niche keyword, a specific type of product. And if you have a collection of products on Shopify, literally called vegan leather handbag, congratulations, you've ticked the first box for that specific keyword. And so I think it's about being relevant, isn't it? And then building that journey on the other side of it once uh, once they land and as you say making sure they don't bounce back to google that's a failed experience as far as uh, as far as seo is concerned absolutely and the gems are hidden in the data so you could yep. if you if we run adword campaigns we take a look under the hood and we're finding some some ways people are finding us and we don't have a collection page for it okay we'll build a collection page for it and then within no time we're we're ranking because it's not a competitive term and we do happen to have a very nice selection of it of whatever whatever that collection page is is about. Now the collection pages are great because they're long tail, most of them, if you're niche and you could find those keyword phrases. So it starts with a keyword phrase and then it goes into the keyword journey. Everything works in harmony. To put yourself in the user's shoes is one thing that changes everything. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And so with the data as well, I completely agree. Somebody said the other day on, on the podcast that the data, in fact, maybe it's in a meeting actually, um, but they said the, the data tells you what happened, but it won't always tell you why. And as you say, that's why going through the user journey itself will start to explain the why. Those people land on this blog page. Why did they leave? Okay, I'm going to land on that blog page. Okay, I'm here. It doesn't ask me to do anything else. It just gives me the answer to the question I've Googled. This blog answers it. There's nothing else to do next, which uh, which makes sense. Bringing it back then, Lolita, bringing it back to yourself, what are, and this is not a question I primed you with, but I'm sure you've got some good examples. What are some of the obvious things that every e-commerce store needs, either on every page or most stores are collections and products? What are some of the things, if somebody's building a store or looking to rebuild their store, improve their, what are some of the things that consumers expect to see all the time now you know what ticks those kind of boxes okay i think that number 
uh, one thing is it's very important to organize your site the right way. Uh, a lot of the sites that come to us, they're very not organized. Like the collection space are not organized. If, if they're spelling, if they're selling multiple things, right? Yeah. So the UX and organizing the collection pages is very, very important. Number two thing is, of course, reviews, right? A lot of the, you know, especially when you're launching stores, you need to make sure that you start generating reviews. If you cannot generate them, then find a way to get reviews quicker, right? Because pre-revenue, you launch your store, consumers, visitors are going to get on the website. They're going to figure out what you do. They're going to figure out whether they trust you or not. They're going to get to the product pages and that the reviews should be all the way up top. And this is what's going to really help them make the decision whether whether they should proceed with a purchase. Cool. I think, I mean, you can almost put anything that's good on an e-commerce site in that list. And I appreciate that. But yeah, I completely agree with the two you pulled out. I think reviews are so important. What, what else can you do with reviews? So people buy products, they get an email from Trustpilot, FIFO, whatever the platform might be, they fill out a form leaving a review. Say, say a store's now got a thousand reviews. What, what can they do with them? How can they in, improve conversion rates or generate more sales from those reviews? Oh, first of all, you can use those reviews in the ads, right? There is a lot of different ad formats, you know, Instagram and Facebook that we use. And for bottom of the funnel or middle of the funnel campaigns, putting in the reviews, testimonials is something that's really going to increase the conversion rate. So you can use them in ads. You can also use them in all of the email campaigns and even, uh, automation flows. We usually have a section that talks about the reviews all the time. So you use them across multiple channels. I love that. And one thing we were talking to one of our Shopify clients about this morning was actually about getting more reviews with product images. So where the customer's actually taken a picture of the product and these guys sell furniture. So getting pictures of people actually sitting on their furniture out in their garden or showing a new um, table they've bought for their, for their lounge, etc. These things, they just build and build and build on that conversion rate, don't they? Showing that it's an actual real world. Here is this piece of furniture in somebody's house. We're not making these reviews up. We're not just sort of here expecting you to buy it. This is it in the real world. A bit like you said, Donnie, we're just trying stuff on. That, that kind of trying to bring that through SEO content, or as you said, Alita, the full store experience online. I think it's not, it's not super common at the moment, but I do think customers uploading pictures of products with reviews is going to get bigger. And I mean, what does that do to conversion rate, Lolita? Oh, no, it increases the conversion rate exponentially. So especially if, like you mentioned, as an example, right, selling furniture. Furniture is a high average order value, right? It's not a cheap product. It's an investment that you're going to make and you're going to probably use your furniture for years right after you buy it. So reviews, having adequate real reviews on the product pages is going to significantly increase the conversion rates. Cool, cool. And again, to ask a real kind of curveball question, absolutely fine if you guys don't want to comment on this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Dynamic content, both in advertising and on the website, are you guys a fan of it? Have you used it? It's, it's something we've never spoken about in the podcast at all, just as an FYI. But just we're talking about the, certainly about the, the reviews, they're technically dynamic in the sense that if you land on a product, it gives you one set of reviews. If you land on a collection, it gives you a, a full set of service reviews, homepage, we slide How much have you guys played with dynamic content of like using a certain URL on Facebook? So if anyone clicks on that offer, it's not just a different landing page. It actually changes the page very slightly. Is that something you guys have, have played with? Is that worth looking at for a store? Is it an unwanted distraction? Is it super fun and quirky and a bit of a waste of time? What, what are your thoughts on it? We use DPA ads all the time on 
Instagram and Facebook. But in terms of the dynamic content on the website, we don't really um, use. I think that it really depends on what type of the store and what type of the product you're selling, right? Like, for example, if you're selling flights, like we had a customer that was selling, you know, commercial flights as a travel agency, right? That was a much more complicated business than, let's say, selling apparel, right? Mm. So they use dynamic content on their website always, and that strategy worked for them, right? If you're selling something that's pretty straightforward, let's say that you're selling a watch, right? You don't need that, right? But we do use DPA ads in the bottom of the funnel um, on Facebook and Instagram all the time, which is dynamic product ads. Yeah. Cool, cool. I was going to ask what DPA is, just purely if anybody had never heard the phrase before, but you mentioned it at the end, dynamic product ads. Yeah, I think d- dynamic is certainly interesting. And I've seen it work in some scenarios where, like for flights, for example, if you land on a website that sells flights, having the from location to automatically populate with your current location based on IP address Little things like that, I think, can be so quirky and so quick. In the same way, if you go on Google Maps on pretty much any device and type in a location, if it knows where you are and you're on your normal computer, you're on an Apple computer, it will automatically set where you are already. And I think that's what we're talking about with dynamic content is sometimes as little as those things, but equally as big as somebody in a certain country or a certain gender is clicking something, the landing page completely changes and reformats itself. So yeah, no, I just, thought, just thought I'd ask. I think it's uh, certainly an interesting topic. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure that, as I mentioned, that with the travel agency, mm. we used it and that's the only way to actually increase the conversions but once again it depends on what you're selling right sometimes it's a must and sometimes you, you shouldn't be it's it's not going to move the needle yeah so definitely. it depends on what you're selling yeah cool cool and let's flip the question on its head then what are some of the and feel free to not name actual stores but to tell us some stories if you want what are, what are some things to avoid like when, when has it all gone wrong and you guys have been like not that it's been your fault but just what are some of the things that people have done or you've heard stories about people have done their e-commerce stores and it's just killed everything? Okay. I, I, <laughs> I don't know whether it killed everything. I can tell you that it slowed things down significantly. And it happens actually very often. As I, as I mentioned that clients hire us to you know, scale their e-commerce stores. And a lot of the times in the beginning when I ask them, hey, what do you want to get? Right. And they tell me a number. They, they all say, oh, we want to make a couple million in the first year. They actually think that it's unrealistic. And I tell them, okay, I think that, you know, once we do the research and once we understand, analyze the metrics, it's very, you know, doable. And when we say that we can do it, we're, we, we get it done, right? We get them there. So what happens most of the time is that they actually underestimate our ability to scale businesses and they don't prepare an inventory, right? So whenever you launch these campaigns and you start putting some money into driving traffic to your store, right? Through Facebook, through Google, Instagram, and then you will, you will identify a bestseller. What we do usually is that once we know that bestseller, we go all in, all in because on that bestseller, we make ads of that bestseller because usually it lowers your customer acquisition cost significantly. Yeah. So what happens all the time, right? Is that they will sell out out of their bestseller pretty quickly. And then they get very fussy about, hey, why is my CAC all of a sudden up? And whenever we're looking at the numbers and I see that our conversion rate drops or customer acquisition costs all of a sudden, you know, spikes up, like 100% of the time is going to be the lack of inventory. So actually inventory management, if you're serious about scaling your store, you need to understand the pace of, hey, if I'm spending a certain amount on paid media and I'm driving 
traffic and I'm converting at 2%, you should be able to figure out what items are going to move. You know, marketers can manipulate the numbers of what we sell, right? Because we promote that particular item. And usually the top sellers, right, is something that we promote. And top sellers are very important because that's what lowers your customer acquisition costs. So making sure you don't ever run out of inventory, especially in Q4 for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. I had a lot of situations when we're, you know, going guns blazing Q4 and everything is going great. And then we hit the wall because there is no inventory. So I see that happens all, happening all the time. So learn how to calculate, understand the basic metrics of how much money you're going to spend, how much traffic you're going to get, how you're going to convert, and how much inventory do you really need in order for you not to be stuck. Because once the sales kind of pull back and I have to lower the spend on the campaigns, you basically have to reset the machine, like the learnings and the algorithm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? So to get it to the same level will take, it's not like when I turn it back on, right? All of a sudden the sales start coming the same accelerated you know, pace as it was before you turned it off, right? So it's, it has pretty big consequences that once you slow down to get it going again, it takes a little more time. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree. And you've reminded me of a scenario we have with a client where they sold a product that comes in two parts and you can sort of buy the main product and you can buy a base to go at the bottom of it to stop it. It's an outdoor product. So when the wind blows, you can buy a base so that it doesn't blow over or fly off, <laughs> all this sort of stuff. And the base itself, these guys were the only ones who were selling just the base on its own. So they, you could buy both or they just had the base to this product. And the bases were selling like crazy. And we kept telling them. And when we told the client um, and it sort of the message sunk in and they were looking at their revenue numbers, they realized they were making a loss delivering those products because the base is so heavy. So the delivery cost is crazy. So it's profitable if they sell the main product, which costs three or four times the price of the base, but they can't sell the base on its own. And of course, we, we're running their Google shopping campaigns and we were just crying back and forth. You can't turn our best selling, you know, it's like 50, 60% of the revenue. And they've just told us to cut the lot. There's nothing we can do about it. So we kept asking them, you know, can you find a different delivery company? Is there another option for this? Like, can we still advertise it and then just say you can't buy this product on its own? It has to come with the main product and see if anyone still buys it. And yeah, I completely relate to the stock stock scenario as well, where we've had it with clients where all the best selling products go out of stock. And then suddenly it's our fault that revenues dropped. And it's like, when you realize what's actually happened, it's, it can be quite frustrating. Yeah. And it's interesting how they all come and they blame you. They're saying, oh, the revenue dropped. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it happens, you know, with every single client. And with us, we're super proactive about that. Uh, we learned our lesson with some of the clients when we were very bullish on finishing Q4 very, you know, strongly and they ran out of inventory, you know, during Black Friday. Yeah. So we, our agency and the account executives, what we do is a day-to-day kind of protocol is we, you know, because we have access to their Shopify in the back end. We actually go in for them and we say, hey guys, we're running low based on the spend right now. We, you're going to sell this out in about a couple of weeks. You need to reorder things like that. So we guide our clients and we help them in inventory management because it's, it's, it's crucial. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if anyone's listening, just, just to signpost an old sponsor of ours, I say old, they were on the last episode, but uh, uh, Brightpole is a really good tool for helping you with this. So if you're struggling with this, Brightpole is not the cheapest and it's, yeah, it's not, it's not for everybody for sure. But there's, what I'm saying is there's quite a lot of episodes. If you go back on our podcast, 
where we've spoken with store owners about using Bright Pearl versus other tools and how they manage stock and how important it is. And it's definitely, for somebody who's come into this podcast as an advertising SEO person, I've been staggered by some of the topics and we've covered quite a few of them today about products, about stock, and also about just realistic expectations of how quickly to grow your business and what to do with it. But yeah, I think stock is such a killer one because coming back to you on this, Donny, stock in e-commerce, that that is your content, isn't it? Without stock, you have nothing to work with from an SEO point of view. I think what's also very important, if I can add for for the SEO in e-commerce is the ability to write name your products a certain way where it's clear, right? And writing product descriptions the right way. This is where when entrepreneurs want to launch their stores, they never think about that. But in e-commerce, to write the product names and product descriptions the right way with the right keywords, Nick, as you guys you know, pointed out, is very important because that affects your Google shopping campaigns, right? So that's one of the things that, that people that want to launch their stores, they need to take a class and learn how to write their product names and product descriptions. That's a must. Yeah, definitely. And I think one, one thing I love about Shopify, I mean, obviously this whole podcast about Shopify and we should big them up from time to time, but I, l- I love on Shopify, you can export all your products in a spreadsheet. And then in terms of naming, you can at least write a formula in a spreadsheet to do the naming. And then you can go back through manually and start changing them or making them more specific. But you're absolutely right. For Google Shopping feed, you need properly named products, etc. It has to be right. The descriptions have to be good. There's a bit of an argument, just as a complete side note, there is a bit of an argument brewing in the Google Shopping world that one of my team made me aware of recently, where Google's basically said that the description in a shopping feed has no impact at all in the performance of Google Shopping, which has come as a bit of a heart attack to us. And I can't clarify if that is the case or not. All I can say today is there is definitely an argument brewing in the Google Shopping, PPC world, Google advertising world at the moment, talking about this kind of topic. So my advice right now is keep optimizing those descriptions. One thing I do know is customers do see them um, when they go onto the shopping tab. They are there. But uh, as you say, naming products in the right convention, which flows back really nicely actually to what you were talking about earlier in terms of categorizing the products properly, it all starts to tie together, doesn't it? And it almost completely comes back to brand. What's our brand? What are the keywords that people are looking for on Google? What products are we targeting on advertising? Let's name our products correctly. Let's categorize our products correctly and build a a fairly easy, simple experience on the site for people to get from a search engine, a social channel to the site, through the page, through the cart. Nice and simple, but also educating through that process. Yeah, for sure. Cool. And then I guess last question then, I'm going to talk specifically about ads because this is something I put in in the sort of brief for this episode. And I thought it'd be really good to cover this off actually. And it's a question we get asked a lot by clients. And the question, I'm going to rephrase it very slightly from, from what we agreed, but the question basically is you get all these people who come to your site and you mentioned earlier about a 2% conversion rate. And we, we worked with similar sort of, if it's lower than that, why is it lower? If it's a lot higher than that, why is it higher? 2% is a decent benchmark, varies by industry. But that's only two out of every 100 people that actually click through to your website or actually arrive at the site itself. What can you do with the other 98%? It's not really, it's, it's a little different, right? The conversion rate is how many people end up purchasing from your website. So that's where the benchmark depends on the product should be two to four percent. Yeah. And then there's click-through rate, right? And the click-through rate is how many people click on your ads, 
let's say that we're talking about right now Facebook and Instagram ads, right? And the click-through rate, they go, you know, the benchmark for top of the funnel is 2% as well, but you can make them better. And we've had successful case studies where we've made such amazing creative where the click-through rates were up to 10%, right? And that makes a huge difference because on Facebook starts giving you lower CPMs and therefore you just get more clicks, you get more traffic and the conversion rate. Clearly your advert's more relevant. So they're going to show it to more people. Correct. correct. They're going to show it to more people. Even though if the conversion rate will stay the same, you're still getting 10 times more traffic to your website because your click through rate is higher. So there, and there's things you, you can do. And when we work with our clients, we have a very strong creative side to where we do not limit our clients on the amount of creatives that we make. Because, you know, we are full service e-commerce agency. And when we take the project, we handle everything from A to Z. And app creation is a big part of that because my ad team, they make ads daily. And they go, we're going to make them daily until we're very pleased with click the rates, right? And we push it as high as we can. And the way that algorithms right now on Facebook also work is that you have to upload new creative constantly. Because if you don't, then you can launch a campaign Within four weeks, they'll plateau, and then the people are going to get an ad fatigue. They won't react to your ad anymore. So, right, making that creative constantly uploading in, into the Facebook machine and pushing it as high as you can. And as I said, like we, we've had it as high as ten percent click through rates with certain accounts, and that makes a huge difference. Wow, I think ten percent is amazing. Certainly, in my experience is yeah, a phenomenal statistic. And just for anybody who's new to Facebook advertising, you've got to think that the people seeing your ads. They've not searched for this. They're not in the market for it. It's not high, sort of super high demand. So to get 10% of the people that just see this ad first time, it might, it might not be the first time, but they see this ad without doing a search, without actually hunting for it, to then get 10% of those people, one in 10, to click through to the website is, is phenomenal. Second part of the question then, you've got a conversion rate of 2% on the site. What do you do with the other 98%? Is, is there anything we can do so that, that that traffic we've had on the site isn't completely wasted? Or most advertisers look at stuff and go, you know, okay, a 2% click-through rate, that's 98 out of 100 people who are not buying from me. What are some of the things that advertisers and e-commerce store owners can do with that 98% to get, to get something from them, to drive them to a purchase eventually? Well, when we're looking at 2% conversion rate, we're thinking that we're spending about 80% of our media spend into prospecting and new customers, right? So that's okay. Actually, 2% conversion rate, if you're deploying most of your budgets and excluding your existing customers, you're bringing new traffic in, that's okay, right? And also the e-commerce environment is a super holistic environment. And the reason why I love it is because it's very predictable and there's a lot of math behind it, right? So sometimes when I look at clients that come to us and we do our due diligence and I see that the conversion rate is six to 7%, right? I know right away what it tells me that first of all, right, it's too high. Second of all, you're probably not spending enough money and you're not bringing enough traffic. So you're literally sitting there and people that know your brand and that come back to you and buy from you again. So it depends on what stage in the company you, you know you are, your company is in, and what are you trying to accomplish, right? If you you if you want hyper growth, you know, state that you you have to bring in new traffic and new traffic will convert two to four percent, right? What you can do to improve it, it's once again, simple things is that branding and communication, you really need to have users 
spend the least amount of calories to understand what your product does, right? Sometimes the website is so misorganized, you know, Shopify stores to where I get on the site and I'm like, what is this? Is this an editorial? Like, what are they trying to sell? It's too much copy, Mm. right? It's not visual enough. So to improve it, branding UX, right? That in e-commerce, when people land onto your store, they are ready to learn about your product and transact, right? They need to find what they're looking for with the least amount of clicks. Do not put all the fluff on a homepage. It's not necessary, right? There are so much distractions that people do. Like, for example, they start pushing their blog on the website, on the homepage page. It's not needed, right? The blog is good to have somewhere in the footer or somewhere in the menu bar to where people can go and learn about your blog. And, like, and, it, and it has lots of great SEO benefits as well, right? But do not put it on the homepage, right? Where there's so, like, don't make your store an editorial. Make it when they get there, they should understand what you sell, how your collections are organized, and how to get to the purchase with the least amount of clicks. And of course, reviews, right? The reviews on product pages is a must. So these are the things that we focus on. And probably seven out of 10 of clients that come to us that already had some revenue, the first thing that we do is we dive in into the Shopify and we start changing up the UX because this is what's going to increase your conversion rate because they, they have a lot of fluff on the site that's not needed. Cool, cool. Couldn't agree more. And I love the, I love the fact you mentioned the homepage. We've had so many clients over the years that have said, yeah, we've got a brand new homepage coming out and we've put all this energy and effort into it and then they launch it. And then why is Google Shopping not converting anymore? And we're sort of like, because none of that traffic goes through your homepage. And they're like, why not? Our homepage is great. I thought that was like the door, you know, the door to the shop. Everyone arrives at the front of the shop and they see the homepage. And we said, no, no, the internet does not work like a shop in that way. The way the internet works, certainly on Google Shopping is, oh, I like that product. And you click on it and you go straight in. It's a bit like going to a big supermarket or a hypermarket and there's products all over the place from lots and lots of different brands. That's a bit like how Google Shopping works when you're on the shopping side. And then as soon as you like a product, it's like being teleported from that product straight into the actual store that's owned by that brand. It's a very different experience. No, for sure. Google Shop takes you straight to the product page. However, if you're doing Facebook ads, top of the funnel, and you exclude your audience that have purchased from you before, so you're serving your ads to people that have never heard from you, right? They don't know what you do, and we're interrupting their feed, right? When they're peacefully scrolling through their Instagram feed, and all of a sudden now ads pop up, you want to take them, you know, to the homepage to get as a first kind of experience. And that homepage is that, welcome to my store. Let me tell you what I sell. And this is how you can navigate my store. This is what we're trying to accomplish, right? And then most of the time, people are not going to buy on their first visit. Every store has the average amount of visits that, you know, a user needs to take in order for them to transact, right? We're going to then take them closer and closer to the sale on the retargeting ads by driving them based on their behavior on the website to the collections page. Or if they review certain product pages, we're going to serve them an ad with that particular product, right? But the first top of the funnel introduction to your brand, organized homepage is very important. And then, you know, to simplify, right? Shopify, it's very simple. It goes homepage, collections page, and a product page, right? And the checkout page. There's only four main pages that people need to worry about. So you kind of have like, if you're looking at the funnel, there's top of the funnel, and then you kind of go lower, you know, 
down the funnel and product page is where you transact. So by focusing and to simplify that into your new owners' heads, right? To make it simplify. So you got to think of it, you know, what are you putting on the homepage, which is a facade basically of your store and the collections page is specific collections and the product where you describe what the product does and you have reviews and the least amount of clicks needed to, to transact on the page. Cool. No, I completely agree. And I think, I think it's, it's, it's important, as you say, every store is different. I think it's all about the context of this stuff. But it's been great chatting to you guys. I think we're going we're gonna to wrap things up there, given the, uh, I've just suddenly seen the time, uh, which always happens when we record podcasts. It's uh, time suddenly flicks on. But um, Donnie, Lalita, thank you so much for joining us, uh, joining us today. Thank you so much for having us. And just before we go, Lalita, how can people get in touch with you guys? What's the website? What's the best way of communicating? Uh, Eatstar.com is the website. And there is going to be a um, schedule a call button where you know people can schedule a call with me or send us an email. Everything is on the site. So if you want to get in touch, make sure you go to evestar.com. That's E-V-E-S-T-A-R.com. And you can get in touch with these guys from there. I've been Nick. Thank you so much for listening today. We're back again next week. Again, we're going to follow on this series about how to create a killer Shopify store. And the final thing is, if you haven't left us a review or you haven't checked out the Facebook group yet, please do that. Um, so you can review us on your favorite podcasting platform, however you're listening today. And then also the Facebook group is winning with Shopify. So go and check that out. We're pretty much approving everybody into the group at the moment. And uh, feel free to ask any questions and start any debates in there. It's, uh, it's an open forum for people to chat. So we'll see you again next week and stay safe. Sign up for free for the Shopify approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time.